On Monday, a North Carolina jury deadlocked over the question of Officer Michael Slager's guilt in the shooting of an unarmed black man, Walter Scott, in the back. The media, of course, went insane. They claimed that this demonstrated that cops could never be convicted. They suggested the mistrial was a result of deep-seated American racism. The only reason that Slager wasn't convicted in this trial was one holdout juror. Eleven other jurors were ready to convict for murder. The prosecutor in this case immediately declared her intention to retry the case as well she should. Video shows the officer shooting Scott in the back, then sauntering over to Scott's prone body, handcuffing him and dropping an object near the body. That was a taser. The prosecutor argued, quote, his first instinct after the shots were fired and he cuffs a dead Walter Scott was to stage, was to stage the scene. Slager then lied to the cops about the circumstances surrounding the shooting. He claimed that Scott had charged him and he killed Scott in defense of his own life. Now, thanks to one juror, we're supposed to believe that all of America is systemically racist, even though the governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, issued a statement explaining, quote, it is my understanding that there will be, as quickly as possible, a new trial where the Scott family and all of South Carolina will hopefully receive the closure a verdict brings. Instead of recognizing that the vast majority of Americans are disgusted with this mistrial and that the justice system has yet to even come to a real conclusion on Slager, the media instead used the Slager case to show America's racist and the system's evil. They point to the fact that virtually no officers are convicted for murder, which makes sense since most officer-involved shootings occur in disputed circumstances with criminals, and it's difficult to prove a murder case against officers absent clear and convincing evidence. Statistically speaking, 78 officers have been prosecuted for killings in the United States since 2005. Just under 30 were, in fact, convicted of manslaughter. One was convicted of murder. But that just shows that Americans hate black folks, according to the Huffington Post. They said, quote, black people have shown time and time again that even when they're unarmed or fleeing or completely innocent and a danger to no one, the people sworn to serve and protect can still kill them. And even when almost everyone agrees the evidence shows the officer in the wrong, the system may end up disagreeing. The system didn't disagree here. One juror did. The system allows for one juror to scuttle a death, a death verdict. That doesn't prove that the system is racist any more than the O.J. Simpson trial's idiotic verdict proved the system was racist against white people. But the media are still searching for a narrative that shows white Americans attempting to clamp down on black Americans. They really couldn't be happier about this verdict, which they believe justifies their suspicions. But most of America is rightly outraged, and Slater will face trial again. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty, so much to get to today here on the Ben Shapiro Show. I have to read you this is the greatest column in the history of mankind coming up in just a second. It really is pretty spectacular. But first, we have to say hello to our friends over at CISO. So, CISO is this is fantastic comedy service. If you're really into comedy, if you love yeah, Netflix and Hulu, but you're interested only in comedy, CISO is for you. It's three ninety nine a month. I've got CISO for my family. I've got CISO. My wife and I watch it. It's got the archives of all of SNL, all of Parks and Rec. Um, it's got uh, all, all of these new programs as well that are really first rate. They have a lot of backlog of British comedies, uh, like uh, the original Office with Ricky Gervais. Uh, and they also have all of these new series, uh, including some that are quite good. Again, it's it's kind of your one-stop shop for comedy, and given how much my wife and I need to laugh right now, uh, it's it's been a, a godsend for us. CISO.com is the place to go, and it's three ninety nine a month. They have a bunch of shows, as I say, that are really, really good. One of the, the, Some of them, just to read you a bit of the list, is a Hidden America with Jonah Ray, which is Jonah Ray taking you on a comedic tour throughout America, uh, which is a fake travel show. The places are real, um, but the people are not. So it's, it's pretty funny. My wife and I have watched that a little bit. Uh, we have watched uh, Funny as Hell, uh, which is a stand-up variety show of sorts, which is it's also pretty good. Uh, and they're bringing on new shows all the time. Right now, you can try CISO free for two months when you use the promo code BEN at checkout. So it's CISO.com, and you get two months free at checkout by using the promo code BEN. 
uh, it is a great subscription service, and it really is a lot of fun, so check it out, CISO.com. Okay, so I need to start today with a column that is just the greatest column in the history of humanity. It's just spectacular. And don't worry, we'll get to Donald Trump and Boeing. We'll get to Donald Trump and, uh, and more on Carrier. Uh, there's a lot of information that's now coming out. We'll get to Donald Trump and the cabinet. Ton tons of news. But this column deserves all of the attention that I can lavish upon it. And so does Stephanie Land, the delightful human being who penned this thing. So the title of the column is from the Washington Post, is Trump's election stole my desire to look for a partner? <laughs> well, first of all, if you ever are going on a date with a woman who wrote something like this, know that this date is going to go extraordinarily poorly. It doesn't matter your political perspective. If your dating life is ruined by the politics of the federal government, then I would suggest that you need new priorities. And this is speaking as someone who immerses himself in politics every single day. Here's the column. In August, I went on six dates in one week. I had decided that I was ready to look for a partner. Enough of this dating unavailable men a half decade younger than me. Okay, first, quick note, Washington Post, get some editors, a half decade younger than I. They'd never seriously consider a relationship with me, the column continues, my two children and our needy dog. No, I wanted to find an equal, a man who wouldn't feel the need to step in and rescue me. I didn't need rescuing, but I knew deep down that was only partially true. I often felt the sort of loneliness that settled in my stomach, starting from a chaotic afternoon with my children lasting well into the night when I pulled the covers tight around my chin. I can't imagine why this woman was having trouble finding Mr. Wright. As Andrew Clavin is fond of putting it, if you're, if you're so confident it's time to find Mr. Wright, perhaps you're not Mrs. Wright. Maybe you actually need to, to fix yourself first. I've been on my own with my kids for most of the past decade. I have no idea what a supportive partner would even look like in my house. I imagined it as some sort of potluck. We both bring the things we have to offer and place them on the table. My ability to multitask and keep everyone's schedule on track would sit next to his ability to fix cars, cook, or read books in silly voices. Then we'd feast. Of the six first dates I had in August, two men seemed promising. One of them met me at a brewery. We chatted happily through two beers. Finally, I was out of a job interview mode I'd fallen into while sitting across from strangers. I relaxed. I laughed. And it wasn't the laugh I did just because. It was real. So this is you know, romantic stuff, deep, deep soul-searching stuff. We dated for a few weeks before he admitted he wasn't ready for something serious. Wouldn't you have wanted to, by the way, just, I'm going to give a little bit of dating strategy for folks. On the first date, you should find out whether something is serious or not. Like on the very first date. My wife and I knew on the first date that we were both looking for marriage. You know what that did? It saved us both a lot of headache. Here the column continues. Two days later, the other of those good dates called me out of the blue. We talked for a while and I asked him to dinner. Things were falling into place. A feast was laid on the table and it looked delicious. But... But here's where it gets really good, guys. It's really awesome. We're gonna, it's, it's awesome. Okay. But two weeks later, the election happened. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, my God. Once it was clear that Donald Trump would be president instead of Hillary Clinton, I felt sick to my stomach. I wanted to gather my children in bed with me and cling to them like we would if thunder and lightning were raging outside with winds high enough that the power might go out. And then we'd sing, and then we would sing the song from Sound of Music about kittens and noodles and such. The world felt that precarious to me. First of all, if Donald Trump being elected made your world feel that precarious, you have no faith in the American governmental system. And also, I would recommend that you take a look in the mirror. Hillary Clinton wasn't going to make any great shakes. My oldest came out of her room the next morning to show me the money the tooth fairy had left her. She unexpectedly had to have a tooth pulled, and so bravely went through it. And I said, just think, you'll always remember the day you got a tooth pulled with the day we elected our first female president. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. You can't even let your kid have, have, the, have the memory of the tooth pulling without you. Without, I mean, I do think that those two things, by the way, are related. That if we had had Hillary Clinton as president and a tooth pulling on the same day, 
there is a certain amount of some sense that when I told her Trump had won, she protested. But mom, you said Hillary was going to win. A lot of people thought the same thing. I said, I hugged her a little scared to send her to school out into the big sky country of the red state where we live. What you think people are just going to go out and start murdering people who are Democrats in red states? Sorry, it turns out that the murder rates are, are largely in this country confined to blue areas, even in red states. So, I mean, if, you, if you're worried about the safety of your kid, maybe you shouldn't live in a blue area. 20 minutes later, at a stoplight on the way to drop off my two-year-old at daycare, steam started creeping out from under the hood of my car. It was Trump. Trump did it. He somehow went under the hood of her car and made the steam emanate. My God, the man can do anything. <laughs> Fortunately, my mechanic's shop was nearby. My radiator was cracked in two places right at the top. I really wouldn't feel comfortable with you driving it, one of the mechanics said. Luckily, a new radiator could easily be obtained and installed that day. I thanked them. I didn't start crying until I had crossed the street to walk home. We had a few miles to go, so I carried my daughter. I didn't mind carrying her. I still had that urge to cling to her and keep her close. It was cold that morning, but the sun started to warm us enough to remove our hats. It was though God was smiling upon us in spite of Trump Satan. Halfway home, my tears stopped and my despair grew to appreciation. I have the means to fix our car. I, on my own, can support my family. I not only have the strength to keep it together mentally and emotionally, well, that's questionable, but I also have the strength to carry my daughter home. I have the strength to carry all of us. Really? How much can you deadlift? Can you carry me? Because I'm tired right now. That urge to cling to my family while keeping our foundation strong didn't mesh well with continuing to date the man I'd be seeing. He also has a daughter. He, too, had been feeling a lot of the same emotions I was experiencing. Hopelessness, fear, uncertainty about the future, panic over having to talk to my nine-year-old about anything that might come up at school or what to do in the instance of sexual assault. Hold on, hold on. So you weren't going to talk to your daughter about sexual assault if the first gentleman actually raped people, but you were definitely going to have to talk about it now because Trump or something. Says, but I couldn't reach out to him anymore, this new guy. He was too new, too unfamiliar. Yeah, you sound like a pillar of strength, lady. And my focus had to be on my community of friends that are my family. I need to fiercely love the people close to me instead of learning to love someone new. To reach out to others could weaken the bonds that hold my family together. I can't, I told him, I just can't. I've lost the desire to attempt the courtship phase. The future is uncertain. I'm not the optimistic person I was on the morning of November 8th wearing a t-shirt with nasty woman written inside a red heart. Yeah, who would want to date this? Who, like, seriously, what's wrong with that nutty guy who wants to date this? Goodness gracious, I went on a date and some woman showed up wearing a political slogan and said nasty woman. I'd be like, oh my God, get me the hell out of here as fast as possible. It makes me want to cry thinking of that, of seeing my oldest in the shirt I bought her in Washington, D.C. that says future president. I don't understand. She can't be president anymore because Hillary wasn't. We didn't elect the, the crazy old crone lady who was corrupt in every conceivable way. So your daughter can't be president now. I mean, really, if you put this, is this idolatrous worship of politics, I mean, it sucks on both sides and it's really bad on the left. Wow. There is no room for dating in this place of grief. <laughs> Dating means hope. I've lost that hope in seeing the words President-elect Trump. All hope is lost. Cling to your loved ones. Trump comes for thee. Okay, like, there are people like me who are not real big on the Trumpster, okay? Like, as you may have noticed, I think Trump does a lot of stupid things. I think he does some smart things. I think that Trump does a lot of bad things. I think he does some good things. I think he's a mixed bag. But goodness gracious, I mean, like, you can't take care of your kid because you're so upset about Trump. You can't, you, you have to cling to your loved ones, hide beneath the blankets. Trump is coming. And then you see the windows rattling. Oh, my God, windows are rattling. You look outside and boom, there's this crazy face with the hair and all. <laughs> oh, boy, I think the left is a little melodramatic about their politics, just a little bit over the top, just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh, goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. You don't have to like the outcome of elections. I mean, I was very upset when it turned out the two nominees from the parties were people I couldn't stand, but I somehow went on with my life. Somehow my wife and I still had date nights. Somehow we still brought up our kids. Somehow I didn't feel the need to tell my two and a half year old that her life in America was over. The country was finished. It's just amazing. Amazing how over the top the folks on the left are. Okay. So, sorry, I just had to share that with you because it's wonderful in every conceivable way it is it's just it's too it's too glorious okay so next uh, on to on to trump so trump this morning did something that is is very smart now i think that republicans are about to run into a pretty significant conundrum and it's a conundrum that i've been sort of loath to to cover because it's not clear yet if trump's going to be popular or not but i think he's actually making some very very smart political moves moves that are likely to make him more popular than he is now. He's he's a headline-generating president. He's a president who cares almost solely about headlines. And that's a pretty good way to become popular if you're just reactive to the headline. So there's a headline and it says Carrier's leaving. So the first thing you do is you, you brandish a club and you tell Carrier to get back in the line and then you get a good headline. So there's a poll out today that shows 60% of Americans are more likely to like Trump after the Carrier deal. There's also a headline today, worth noting, that Carrier is raising his prices. That is not a coincidence. When you force Carrier to absorb additional costs in the form of work in the United States, they're prices will go up, presumably they will lose business, or presumably you'll have to pay more for an AC piece of machinery. Um, but in any case, the, the, the fact is that that made Trump popular. So Trump is now carrying that logic forward. He's just going to do a bunch of things that have no real ideological root to them other than they make Trump popular and he feels like doing what he wants. And this is not something I'm a fan of. You know, I, I, did, I talked to, last week about this philosophy of pragmatism. Pragmatism isn't a philosophy. Pragmatism is the basic idea that you are independently, as president of the United States, capable of solving all problems, and therefore we should hand you ultimate power. You can't be pragmatic unless you have power. If you ask me to fix your window, you have to delegate me the power to fix your window. You can't tell me that you want me to fix the window and then I have to go through a whole rigmarole in order to do it. People who say they're for pragmatist presidents really mean they're for, they're for tyrannical presidents. They want a president with the power to do anything they want the president to do. That's sort of the, the mode from which Trump operates. He thinks I alone can solve. And that means that he's actually going to probably be kind of popular because he will solve some problems that are in the headlines while creating new problems that don't see the headlines. The problem with the carrier deal, as I said, and the problem with some of the other actions Trump is about to take, is that these are things that have some very good headlines because there's a, a clear beneficiary, in this case, the people working a carrier, but there are a lot of diffuse victims. So all the people who have to pay additional taxes in order to pay the subsidy, all the other companies who didn't get the subsidy and now have to compete with carrier, all of the people who would be making money in other branches of United Technologies and now the money has to be delegated to paying these people uh, in, in Indiana. So it's, you know, there are all sorts of diffuse costs. This is what uh, the, the great economist Bastiat said and when he talked about infrastructure projects. His basic take was government always wants to build roads and infrastructure. Every dollar that's spent on a road comes from somewhere else. Every job that's created by government is a job taken away from somebody, and that's the reality. But, but that said, all of this stuff actually makes Trump more popular, not less. So today's exercise in Trump's kind of brilliant populism comes courtesy of Boeing. So Trump tweeted this today. Here's Trump's tweet. Uh, he tweeted about Boeing thusly. He said, Boeing is building a brand new 747 Air Force One for future presidents. The costs are out of control, more than $4 billion. Cancel order. So aside from the, the kind of hilarity of Donald Trump trying to cancel uh, an, a federal contract on Twitter, uh, it is a really, really smart political move. It is a very smart political move because it looks like he's trying to cut waste and fraud, and it also looks like he's trying to do it even at his own expense. See, I'm the president, and I'm giving up my fancy new plane in order to cut waste and fraud. Never mind the trillion-dollar infrastructure 
package I'm pledging. I'm trying to cut waste and fraud with regard to Air Force One. Now, number one, couple couple minor issues. One, we don't actually know where the waste and fraud is in this particular contract, or even if there is waste and fraud, Air Force One contains an enormous amount of new technology. Every time they update it, Air Force One hasn't been updated in 30 years. That's not to say this is the best contract or the most necessary contract. It's just to point out that I'd like to see the contract that Trump signs to replace this one for the update of Air Force One. But this is really smart stuff, and here's what Trump had to say when he was asked about it at Trump Tower today. It's clip 17. This morning about canceling the contract for the new Air Force One. Is that something you're serious about trying to do? Well, the plane is totally out of control. It's going to be over four billion dollars. It's for Air Force One program, and uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think Boeing is doing a little bit of a number. We want Boeing to make a lot of money, but not that much money. Okay, thank you. So, so. Great politics, right? Smart politics, because now it looks like he's just trying to to get rid of bad contracts. You know, the, the general idea that there are a lot of people who are protesting about what he said there, where he says we want Boeing to make a lot of money, but not that much money. There are some people saying, well, that's the equivalent of, of Obama saying that he doesn't want companies making too much money. Not quite the same thing, because here you're talking about a federal contract under the purview of the Trump administration. So if he said that broadly, if he said broadly, we don't want people making too much money, then you're in trouble. I mean, that's what Obama said. But if he's just saying in this federal contract, we think that we're being charged too much. We want to renegotiate the contract. That's not the end of the world. Very smart politics. Worth noting, Boeing did take a significant hit in the stock market this morning. They're down about 64 cents in their stock price just because Trump said this. And again, I'd like to see if there's a better contract available. Is there a better contract available? So this is good if there's a better contract available. It's smart politics even if there is no better contract available because it looks like Trump is standing tall to the, to the evil corporations and we're going to save on waste and fraud. This sort of headline-seeking stuff from Trump is very often smart politics. Here's another example. Yesterday, Donald Trump meets with Al Gore. So the entire right is is upset about this. We think it's very silly. Why is Al Gore this hoaxer with regard to climate change? And he is, because his solutions, even if you believe in, in man-made climate change, and there is some evidence to suggest that it's true, there's no proper solution to it. And certainly the carbon credit scheme that Al Gore has gotten rich off of is a scam. And all of the predictions that Al Gore has made about the climate over the past decade, in Inconvenient Truth, all of those have turned out to be exaggerated or false. Al Gore goes and he meets with Ivanka, and then he meets with Trump directly. And here's the reality. Donald Trump has spent his career telling a lot of different things to a lot of different people on policy. In 2009, he signed a letter calling for a solution to climate change. It's a full-page letter in the New York Times, uh, very much to the left on climate change. And then he swiveled on it, and now apparently he's sort of swiveling back. Al Gore comes out. He says, that was a really great meeting. Loved it. Really terrific. Uh, the bulk of the time was with uh, President-elect Donald Trump. Uh, I, I found it an, an extremely interesting conversation uh, and uh, to be continued. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you. So here's the deal. The, the, Al Gore goes to Trump Tower and he comes out and suddenly Trump he looks like he's willing to hear from the other side. Now, people on the right are not particularly happy about this. We think Al Gore is a fraudster. But does that really matter very much to Trump? Not really. He knows that everybody on the right is, is enmeshed in his halo effect, right? Everybody is so excited that he won. Everybody is so excited that Hillary lost that they're willing to kind of brush this off. No big deal. Now, to be fair, we wouldn't have done the same thing with Jeb Bush. We wouldn't have done the same thing with Rubio or Cruz. If any of them had said, you know what, I'm meeting with Al Gore, we would have said, uh, no, you're not. No, that's a bad thing. Trump does it, and now it's okay. And again, it's popularity as a substitute for principle. So Donald 
Trump is doing a lot of things to make himself popular and more broadly appealing, which is smart for him. But I'm not sure that it's smart for Republicans. I'm not, and it's certainly not smart for conservatives who actually care about principle. Because Trump is is doing all these things that are popular, it's very easy for people to get sucked into the game of mistaking popularity for truth, mistaking popularity for principle. Uh, Kellyanne Conway tweeted out that poll that I mentioned earlier about the popularity of the carrier move. And what I tweeted back was, I was unaware that popularity amounts to doing good, right? When, when Barack Obama did things that were popular, but we didn't like them. We said those are bad things to do. People forget this, but in February 2009, when Obama first took office, he proposed the $800 billion stimulus package. That thing had 60% approval, 60%, right? The exact same number as the carrier deal, 60% approval for that, according to the Gallup poll taken in February 2009. And then later it turned out to be a boondoggle. Was it good policy because it was popular? Of course not. Popularity never means that something is automatically good. Justin Bieber is popular. Does that mean that Justin Bieber is a quality musician? And Kim Kardashian is popular. Does that mean that Kim Kardashian is, is some sort of whiz kid? It's easy to get sucked into this in politics because, again, we, we tend to see politics as team sport. Is our team winning or is our team losing? So Rush Limbaugh sort of made this argument yesterday that Trump is winning. He's winning bigly. And because he's winning bigly, that means that we have to give him a green light on a lot of the stuff he's doing. He says we're on offense with Trump. Here's Rush yesterday. Trump is not on defense, folks. We are on offense with Donald Trump. And that's one of the re- one of the big invisible unspoken reasons why he has such loyalty is because people who support him are just like a lot of you in this audience fed up with being on defense and being on a team that never fought back much less went on offense but these tweets and this erratic or unpredictable behavior keeps trump's opponents on defense and believe me it is a delight Okay, and, and so, so Rush loves the fact that, uh, listen, I like the fact that if he were conservative, I'd love the fact that he was on offense, too. I'm, as you know, my basic strategy on politics is never be on defense, always be on offense. So I agree with Rush's general tenor here. My only question is, is he on offense in favor of good things, or is he not on offense in, in, in defense of good things? Like, the tactics, I can appreciate. I'm saying right now, he's, what he's doing right now tactically is actually quite brilliant. He's, he's picking issues off the tree, headlines off the tree, and then he's using those headlines in order to boost his own popularity, and then five in the morning, he sets the agenda for the day with some tweet that drives the press totally insane. It's actually quite brilliant what he's doing. What he's doing is effective. No question, it's out of attention. Rush actually went ahead and praised the $1 trillion stimulus package that Trump is apparently planning. Trump actually follows through on this trillion dollars to modernize airports. You're going to have conservative arguments against it, claiming this is not how it works. This is still federal spending. It's still budget busting. It's still massively expanding the government. However, there will be tangible results. And if Trump does this, and if there are witnessable, demonstrable results of modernization at airports. You're going to be hard-pressed to get people to find a problem with it. Okay, but it's your job to explain why that's a problem, right? As a conservative, it's Russia's job to then go on. I don't think he's wrong about the political benefits of Trump doing it, but it's his job as a conservative to now explain it, not just as a third-party sort of observer. Rush goes, well, you know, some conservatives will find problems with it. Why will they find problems with it? Explain why is this bad? Or are you just going to pretend that it's not that bad because Trump's doing it and it's popular?
And Mike Pence is doing the same thing. Mike Pence was asked repeatedly on MSNBC today about Donald Trump's proposal for a 35% tariff on any company that puts a job outside the United States, which, by the way, also encourages companies not to hire up. It actually encourages companies to hire fewer people because the last thing you want to do is hire 100 people. You have to fire 50 and outsource it. Instead, what you'd prefer to do is start your business immediately by hiring a bunch of people outside the country. Then you're not outsourcing because you never fired anybody inside the country in order to place jobs out of the country. Mike Pence is doing the same thing. It's popular. Trump won. Therefore, that makes the policy okay. Here's what Pence had to say. Donald Trump tweeted about a 35% tariff on American companies who produce things and try to bring them back into the United States. Those are not conservatives. Do you really believe in those things? Well, I, I believe uh, I, I, I believe very much that the American people voted on November 8th uh, for change. Uh, and, and change in our domestic policy and, and in many ways change in our economic relationships around the world. I mean, uh, the president-elect ran uh, on a commitment to renegotiate NAFTA, uh, to pull out of the TPP agreement and, and to deal with countries in the Asian Pacific Rim on an individual basis and negotiate trade agreements did you support with American TPP? workers and American jobs. Did you support and, TPP? You know, I did. But when, when I first sat down with president-elect, we talked about this, he pointed to the fact that whether it's NAFTA or some of these other large agreements, when when the United States enters into these uh, agreements with multiple countries, right. accountability is very difficult and getting out of them is very You're difficult. You're a free. Okay, so this is so magical, right? So now all of a sudden he's been converted to Trumpism. Why? Because Trump won. And I know that people have voted for Trump. Again, this logic didn't hold with Obama. It shouldn't hold for Trump. I understand what Trump is doing. And yes, it's brilliant politically because all he's doing is doing what Democrats have done for 50 years. Watch, I'm going to use a lot of infrastructure in order to pay off all my friends and I'm going to build a giant dam and then I'm going to put my name on it and it's going to say FDR right on the side and then I'm going to be super popular, right? LBJ did the exact same thing. Or Eisenhower's freeway system, right? All, all, these, all these infrastructure projects are ways of gaining popularity and it's a way of gaining popularity when you leverage a company. That's not to say it's bad. I've never said it's bad politics. It isn't bad politics. It's smart politics. But smart politics and doing the right thing are not equivalent. They're not the same thing. Barack Obama, very smart politician, didn't do the right thing. There is a danger here beyond the principle. There is a danger here beyond the principle. And this is a real question for a lot of conservatives. Right? It's a, it's a real question for a lot of conservatives. And that question is, what happens if Donald Trump does his day-to-day -day pragmatism routine? He generates a lot of good headlines for himself, but his overall policy is not good. This is what we call the Obama model, where Obama would do something, get a great headline out of it, people would like him, people would think he's great on Kimmel, and then his overall policy is really unpopular, like Obamacare, right? His big world-changing policies kind of suck. So you do something where he's, look at, look at Obama now, he just went and he helped this, this poor family from Wichita, right? And then he would go out and push a policy that affects all Americans and we think it stinks. We don't punish Obama because we like Obama because he's had all of these great headlines. We punish the Democrats. And so the Democratic Party ends up hollowed out from the inside. Right? Everybody else pays the price for, Ob for Obama's bad economic policies. Republicans could face the same conundrum here. You got a very popular president in Trump, for example, because he's doing this kind of reactive politics. See something on the news, do something about it. See something on the news, do something about it. But the broad policy strokes stink. 35% right? tariffs that raise prices on American goods, make consumers pay out through the nose, make American workers pay more because... We use inputs from other countries, create an interest in, for American companies in outsourcing immediately instead of later and not hiring enough now because they don't want to be punished for firing people later. Right? What if the broad policy strokes end up with Republicans getting punished in Congress, Republicans getting punished on the state level, Republicans getting punished 
in gubernatorial offices because let's say that these policies Trump's pushing, like these 35% tariffs, end up helping lead to a recession. But Trump is doing fine because all of his headlines are about what an activist he is, how he's on top of these things, how he's taking them one by one. Republicans on a political level are going to have to actually consider whether that's worthwhile or not. And now they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because let's say that Trump is very popular and pushing a very unpopular policy, but he's pushing it so it's more popular. But we know that when it goes into effect, it's going to stink. Now what do Republicans do? Trump will bash them over the head. In fact, he's activating Kellyanne Conway, apparently, to create this, this outside government interest group that is going to just stump for Trumpism. That's all it's going to do. It's going to help primary his opponents, and it's going to punish people who don't agree with him, and it's going to be sort of this, this large-scale organizing-for-action-style Barack Obama campaign to continuing campaign organization. Now, this is a conundrum for Republicans. It's a, it's a problem for Republicans, and it's something they're going to have to consider. Well, before we, before we move on, I have to say hello to our advertisers over at Birch Gold. So, again, if, if you're looking at some of these economic policies and they're worrying you, if you're concerned that you know, we're headed toward some economic policies that are going to damage the economy, uh, that are going to raise prices, uh, that are going to make things more expensive, it would be worthwhile for you to take some of your portfolio and invest it in precious metals. Birch Gold can do that for you. They help you convert your 401k or your IRA to, a, to, a, to precious metals without any sort of tax consequences. It's birchgold.com slash Ben, birchgold.com slash they have a 16-page free kit uh, that they will send to you, ask all of your questions, get all your answers, and then when you're ready to invest in precious metals, uh, then talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. They're the folks that I would trust. And yes, I do have money invested in precious metals uh, because everybody should have at least a little bit of money invested in precious metals as a hedge against government interventionism. Okay, so the big question for Republicans is going to be, will they stand up to Trump or should they politically stand up to Trump? And this is a, a sort of strategic question, which is, how do you hope to get the best out of the Trump presidency? Do you get the best out of the Trump presidency by calling him out when he makes a mistake? Or do you assume he's going to do some bad stuff and some good stuff and you push him to further power because you hope that the good is going to outweigh the bad? That's a real tactical question. All I can say is that trusting a politician too much has never ended well. Trusting a politician to do the right things because he's going to do more good than bad comes along with a lot of bad. And calling out politicians for doing the wrong things seems to be a more intellectually coherent and politically advantageous position. Uh, now, as we continue, we're going to continue over at dailywire.com. So if you, uh, we have to let you go on Facebook and YouTube, but go over to dailywire.com right now to subscribe. $8 a month will get you a subscription. Just ditch that one hamburger. It'll make you skinnier. It'll also make you wiser. $8 a month, dailywire.com. Annual subscription. You buy it right now. You get my, my novel, True Allegiance. You get that signed. You get access to the mailbag. Uh, which is, of course, the most phenomenal mailbag there ever was. We'll be doing that on Thursday. Uh, we have all sorts of new goodies coming for members, including a member store, which is coming in just a few weeks. You get big discounts if you're a member. Make sure you go over to dailywire.com right now and sign up. We are the largest conservative podcast in the United States. Now, I want to take a minute to talk about the popularity of, of some of the stuff that Trump is doing, because I'm making the case that it's popular, but it's not smart. Hey, the reason that I'm making that case is because it's not. Right now, I'm looking at that political poll that says the carrier deal is, is for example, very popular. 
What it says is that overall, 51% of voters think that it's okay for the president to directly negotiate with a private business. That includes 69% of Republicans and 37% of Democrats. Amazing how team sport flips this, okay? If Obama were the president-elect and we were going into a Democrat-dominated Congress, those numbers are directly the opposite. 69% of Democrats think Obama should talk with businesses, and only 37% of Republicans think that he should. Offer tax breaks or incentives to individual companies to keep jobs in the United States. This would be a subsidy gang, right? It's not just tax breaks, it's an incentive. 78% of Republicans say that's okay. This is directly opposed to basic conservative principle. Offer government contracts to individual companies to keep jobs in the U.S., bribe companies. 71% of Republicans say that's okay. 51% of Democrats say that's okay. Negotiate with individual private companies on a case-by-case -case business uh, basis. 75% of Republicans say it's okay. 42% of Democrats say it's okay. In other words, everybody is now a Keynesian. Everybody is now an interventionist. Okay, this is bad policy. It's bad policy that's driven by the idea that government's job is to maintain jobs in the United States. That's not government's job. That's not government's job. Jobs are a byproduct of the economy. They're not the purpose of an economy. And I'll tell you the difference. If jobs were the purpose of the economy, the USSR is the greatest jobs creator in history. They pay everybody a little tiny stipend. They give them all food stamps in order to go and dig a hole and then fill the hole back in again. The idea of jobs being a byproduct of the economy is I want a new computer. I need a bunch of people producing that computer in order for me to buy it. In turn, I have to provide them with some service in order for them to trade me all of the parts for the computer and to put it together for me. Right? So we all have jobs, but we all have jobs because we need something from one another. Jobs are the byproduct. Jobs are not the purpose. But people mix this up. So they think it's government's job to create jobs. That is not government's job. That is not government's job. And in fact, government's that artificially suppress the unemployment rate, those are governments that tend to be really tyrannical. China has, a, has an unemployment rate consistently of 4%. It's also a communist dictatorship. Would you rather live in, in China or would you, would you rather live in the United States where we have about a 5% unemployment rate? Our 5% unemployment rate is based not on government workforce, by the way. That's based significantly on the private sector, which is why, you know, consensual give and take of products. Would you rather live in Venezuela or California? In Venezuela, their unemployment rate is currently 6.7%. Of course, that's because everybody works for the government and all the people are shooting dogs in the streets to eat them. Does that sound appealing to you? There are places in Europe that have 8% unemployment rates. You'd probably rather live there because that is a less socialist system than it is in Venezuela. Jobs are not a useful measuring stick for good government policy, in other words. The quality of life is the best measuring stick. And that includes jobs, but jobs is a byproduct. Jobs themselves, there are good jobs and bad jobs. There are useful jobs and useless jobs. Jobs alone is not the best measure. But because everybody in the world seems to assume that jobs are the only measure, they're okay with the stuff that Trump is doing and it's very popular. They don't look to the next step, which is what do those jobs cost? Who's paying for it? By the way, you know who's paying for it? A carrier just raised its prices. They just raised their prices 5%, so consumers are paying for it. Or a carrier itself when they go out of business for raising prices. So all of this you know, begs the question, it doesn't beg the question, all of this drives a question, and that question is, what happens if Republicans resist? I think that they, there are a lot of Republicans in Congress who are, who are a little bit, uh, uh, they're a little bit pie in the sky about how this administration is going to work. Uh, they think that, that Donald Trump is just going to sign whatever they send. I think Paul Ryan is one of these. That's not how it's going to work. Rich Lowry is one of my colleagues over at National Review. He's the editor-in-chief of National Review. Uh, he says that, that if people on the right think that Trump is just going to sign whatever Ryan sends over, they're out of their minds. All Ryan's house, are they going to roll over? He's threatening 35% tariffs. He did that again this morning in tweets. Paul Ryan's house going to put up with that? Well, um, 
there are affirmative parts of Trump's agenda that won't pass the House, but I think Paul Ryan and others have this conception of President Trump as the guy who just signs their bills. And that's not the way it's going to work. And they will find themselves following his lead much more than they expect, and you've seen it on the carrier deal. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So the question is going to become, you know, what happens if they don't go along with it? So Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Majority Whip, uh, he says that he's not going to back Trump's tariff plan. What happens when Trump comes into conflict with Congress? That's when things get really interesting. Well, I think we have to look at this, and what the president-elect is talking about is how do we create more jobs here? The first way we do that is with tax reform. And there's tax reform that you want to lower the burden and make it a greater incentive to be in America. Right now, the incentive is an advantage to have a c company outside of America from repatriation to keep your money outside, from a lower tax being posted in another country. So if we lower the taxes, make it more incentive to be in America, I think you achieve that goal. Could you support 35%? You know what? There's going to be a lot of debates out there. I think there's many ways to going about doing it. In our process of a, of a better way, there's a way we deal with uh, companies on the other, in other parts of the country. I think there's a lot of ideas. I'd rather see all the ideas okay. put on the that, table. It sounds like decide. a no. Is that a no? <laughs> I'm just saying, why do we predetermine? I do not want to get into a trade war. I want companies to be built in America. And I think lowering the tax incentive is the best way about doing it. What's your I agree, of course, with Kevin McCarthy, but I'm not sure that Trump agrees with Kevin McCarthy, which is why he's not mentioned lowering taxes in his Twitter feed particularly, but he is very, very talkative uh, about tariffs. So Republicans will be forced into a choice. Are they going to embrace bad policy in order to continue to prop up Trump's popularity, or are they going to fight him on bad policy and watch Trump go revenge on them? It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, at the very least, at the very least. Of course, I'm hoping that Trump converts and becomes actually good at economics. That would be my preference, and that's the reason why I'm calling him out, because all of these battles could be avoided if Donald Trump would actually start implementing good policy and seeking good headlines, not just seeking good headlines at the expense of good policy. Okay, meanwhile, the Democrats are obviously in disarray. They have no idea who's going to run in 2020. One name has popped up. Of course, it's a guy who says that he's, he's the one who's making the name pop up. This, of course, would be our good friend, Joseph R. McBiden. So Biden, he just randomly offered that he wants to run in 2020 when he will be 78 years old. Here he is. I'm going to run in 2020. Um, so, uh, for what? But for president. Yeah. You know, so, uh, what the hell, man? Anyway. We're going to run with that, sir, you know. Oh, that's, okay. That. that's okay. That's okay. Run for 2020. Why not? Why not? I mean, we already have the oldest serving president in the history of the United States. Uh, at the time of his election, Donald Trump, Donald Trump be 74 at that point. Why is it out of the realm of possibility? Biden obviously feels pretty bad he didn't run uh, this time. Uh, it's, it's, if, if the best the Democrats can do is Joe Biden in 2020, then Trump's going to have a shot. He will. He'll have a shot. Joe Biden uh, is, is a much better politician than Hillary Clinton. But that said, 78 years old, been around the block a thousand times, still just a member of that Obama administration. Ooh, weak tea, man, weak tea. And it's amazing to watch as the Democrats finally admit the truth about Hillary Clinton, which is that she's a terrible candidate. Andrea Mitchell, who literally wept the night that Hillary Clinton lost, she said, yeah, we knew for years that Hillary Clinton stunk when it came to appealing to voters. 
This is a moment for Democrats and progressives of all sort to recognize that when you have a strategy that's actually just propping up the 1% by dividing everybody else, you will always lose. It'll always be close it's margins. Also that it, was a, it was a change election, and we saw it as early as the New Hampshire primary, that she was not connecting not just to the working class voters, but to the young people and to the women, the young women. And that generation gap was a major problem. For I think I love that Andrea Mitchell is now playing this tune. I mean, why didn't we hear this during the election cycle from the media about how Hillary was a terrible candidate? Maybe they would have elected somebody different in the primaries. But no, they had to prop her up all the way. The revisionist history is pretty amazing, and the Democrats have no place to go, which is why they'll probably nominate another minority candidate in 2020, because they think that's their future. Somebody like Kamala Harris, the new senator from California, black female, or Cory Booker, the, uh, the senator from New Jersey, uh, who's black also. The idea would be you prop up the Obama coalition in terms of turn out by putting out uh, a, a minority candidate in order to drive up that turnout again. Not sure it's going to not sure it's going to work. We'll find out. Okay, time for some things I like, things I hate, and then we'll deconstruct the culture a little bit. So things I like, I can't fully say I love this book yet because I'm only about 85 pages in, but at least this is the thing I'm reading. So the thing I'm reading right now is The Plot Against America by Philip Roth. Haven't read a lot of Philip Roth in the past. I will say the first 100 pages of this book are quite good. Uh, that's as far as I've gotten. I will give you the update. Uh, when I finish it. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So the left is having newfound fun in going back into history and trying to declare that everybody was a rapist in the past. Every single person was a rapist way back when. So we saw them try to do this with the with the picture, uh, the very famous picture uh, from the from Victory Day in World War II. Uh, from V-Day in World War II, where the, the Navy sailor is bending over a nurse and kissing her, and they say, this is part of the rape culture. This, was, this is a sexual assault. Okay, was it? Does, does this woman feel like she was assaulted? Did she feel at the time like she was assaulted? Did she file charges? Last I checked, sexual assault was illegal back in the 1940s, and it is illegal today. Um, but, they, but they decide they have to make that an issue for no apparent reason, and they have to, instead of seeing that picture as a representation of joy, which is how most Americans have seen it, they have to dig up the backstory and now make it a story about how America is sexist and horrible because that's what the left does. Their latest, their latest foray into this kind of stupidity is the song Baby It's Cold Outside. So for those who have never heard the song Baby It's Cold Outside, it's going to get played a lot around Christmas time. Here's the song, very clever Cole Porter song, uh, and, uh, and here is, uh, here's a bit of the song. Cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been I'm hoping that you dropped so in. Very nice. I'll hold your hands. They're just like my ice. mother will start to Beautiful, worry. what's your My father hurry? will be pacing the floor. Listen to that fireplace. It's roar. really had better scurry. Beautiful, please don't but hurry. Maybe just a soda pop. Put some records on while I the pour The neighbors might think Baby, it's bad out there Say, was that a wink? No cabs to be had out there I 
wish I knew how. The whole argument, first of all, weird video. This is the, the, the new version. It has tons of hits from Adina Menzel and Michael Bublé. Uh, very weird to have little kids doing it because it's really a, a sexy song. I mean, the whole the whole purpose of the song is a guy trying to seduce a girl into staying over the night, basically. But the whole premise of the song is the girl saying, you know, I got to go. And the guy trying to wheedle her into staying. I think it's really cold outside. And eventually uh, she says, yeah, but baby, it's cold outside. So the whole thing is a seduction song. According to the left, this is rape culture because everything is rape culture. So there's something called Affinity Magazine that nobody's ever heard of. And uh, there's a piece by Will Turlack that says, Tis the season. We all know what that means. Being inundated with the unmistakable tune of Baby It's Cold Outside, which is also unmistakable, is that the lyrics, now considered extremely problematic, problematic, that's always a word that you hear a lot. I've used problematic before, but when I say problematic, I usually mean unacceptable. When the left says problematic, they mean something that offends them a little bit, that highlight a woman being put in an uncomfortable and coercive situation by a man. Okay, have they ever had a seduction ever, ever? in which a guy tries to get a girl into bed. Has this ever happened to anyone on the left? Like, really, I'm just wondering. Those of us who are married have to do it on occasion as well. Okay, but the idea that it's a rape, or that it's rape culture, when you say, honey, you really look good. You know, honey, it's really, you know, really? Do you feel like you, do you, feel like you need to go to this event tonight? I mean, wouldn't it be nicer just to stay in? Is that rape culture? They say, I mean, this is what the article says. I mean, one lyric is actually ought to say, no, 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 sir, to which the man responds, mind if I move in closer. Right, because it rhymes, because no, sir, and closer rhyme. And when she says ought to say, no, 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 sir, she's not saying, no, 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 sir. The whole point of that lyric, you idiots, is that ought to say means that she's trying to convince herself to do the moral thing and leave, and he's trying to, and he's trying to seduce her into staying. So the left has now created a revised version of Baby It's Cold Outside with, where they change the lyrics so that they are less problematic, as the left likes to put it. And here it is. I really can't stay Baby, I'm fine with that I've got to go away Baby, I'm cool with that This evening has been you get home so safe. very I'm glad you had a real good time. My mother will start to call her so she knows that you're coming. Father will be pacing the floor. Better get your car around. better scurry. No rush. Should I use the front or back door? Which one are you pulling towards? Neighbors might think that you're a real nice girl. Say, what is this dream? Pomegranate LaCroix. I wish I knew how Maybe I'll help you to out oh, I don't know what you're talking about Stop it, stop it. How is that not a parody? How is it not a parody? The left is so self-parodic. It's insane. Do they not understand that they're parodying themselves? The girl's saying, I really can't tear myself away. And he's going, no, you should go. You should leave. Like, really? Like, if you want to go, just go. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, hot. Ha, that doesn't undercut the message of the song at all, or the mood of the song at all, or what the song is about at all. What utter nonsense. I love it. I love the part where, where she says, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, and he says, baby, I'm cool with that. Yeah, sexy, man. Sexy. I know that if my wife looked at me and gave me the come-hither eyes and said, baby, I really have to go to work right now. And I said, you know what? Go ahead. You know, you, whatever's cool with you. Hot. Hot. So ridiculous. That, that's what the left does. I mean, it's so funny. that They're so... The, the left is so into sex about everything. And then when it comes to the actual practice of how people have sex, then they start, they start, how seduction is practiced, they go nuts. 
right? They think that you have to have a checklist. You have a checklist by the bed. Oh, have I, have I fulfilled all of my legal obligations to you and asking you precise permission to touch this part of you? What utter insanity. And I mean, you want everything sterile. It's so funny. They, these are the people who portray people on the right. You know, those of us who have sex and lots of kids, they portray people on the right like me, right? They portray, well, we're the John Lithgow characters from Footloose who don't let the children dance. They might turn out to be having sex. But they're the ones who are cutting songs where if you say to a girl, if she says, I really, I really would, I really must go. And you say, no, stay, stick around, baby. That's the, that's the end of the world. Unbelievable and really funny. And I, I just, I treasure that song. I think it's fantastic. And I only, if that's not a parody, it should be. It should be. It should be a parody of what the left thinks about human relationships. So insane. Okay. Time for a little bit of deconstructing the culture. So uh, the, there's two songs that I wanted to point out today from the same artist. This guy's become very popular, The Weekend. Uh, or the weekend, I guess it's the weekend, but there's no second, uh, there's no third E in in weekend because I don't know, maybe maybe the E was taken out to the chopping block, they couldn't afford it, whatever it was. Uh, the weekend is very popular. Uh, he's got a couple of songs. I've had a lot of requests to analyze weekend songs. So the the new one that's out right now is a song called Starboy. Um, and, uh, and here is what the music video looks like. In order to understand the lyrics, you actually have to watch the music video a little bit. understand this 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 uh, this video this song you have to understand there's there's been a debate where people are saying that he's actually uh preaching christianity no blah, 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 no he's not okay so what the what the first of all the cover of his album for for this song uh is actually an occult cover like it has occult symbols on it the message here is that this is a guy who's basically sold his soul for the fame and he's very happy about it to understand that you have to look at one of his other songs and that other song is uh, is called the hills there's basically a three song series this is i think the hills was basically part two star boys part three the hills he actually sells his soul to the devil and he's quite happy about it uh, here is here's a little bit of that song, and then I'll analyze the lyrics of Starboy and explain what he's doing. Your man on the road, he doing promo. You said keep our business on the low, low. I'm just trying to get you out the friend zone. Cause you look even better than the photo. I can't find your house, send me the info Driving through the gated residential Found out I was coming, sent your friends home Keep on trying to hide it, but your friends know I only 
the the chorus there is when I'm effed up, that's the real me. When I'm effed up, that's the real me. For people who couldn't see the video, uh, either of these two videos, you're listening to the podcast. This is why you should subscribe. The first video shows the the weekend uh, walking through this kind of dark mansion, and then he picks up what appears to be this kind of lightsaber cross, and he begins just destroying his house, right, destroying everything. Uh, after this lightsaber cross, this 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 uh, red cross lights up his eyes. Uh, it's very creepy looking. Uh, in the hills. Uh, you can't see the rest of the music video. At the very end of the music video, he actually is confronted with the devil to whom he's essentially sold his soul. And the devil is obviously holding an apple, the apple of knowledge. And his two girlfriends in the video are sitting there by the devil. So there are some people who say that this is a condemnation of the of the kind of materialistic lifestyle. That's not what it is. Okay, That's not what it is. What it is is national celebration of that. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit um, – I'm indebted to – I'm trying to remember who actually did this analysis – uh, of Starboy, um, but there's there's a, fel- a vigilant citizen. I think is the name of the website. He actually did an, a, a, an analysis of the occult meaning of of Starboy, and, he, and it's pretty convincing. And basically, he's making the case that the entire thing is about how he's happy he made this deal to sell his soul to the music industry, which is what he considers the devil, because he got all this cool stuff in exchange. So the lyrics in Starboy are: "I'm trying to put you in the worst mood." Ah, first of all. It, it's, it's pretty lazy to, to end every line with ah and two because those don't all rhyme. But he says, P1 cleaner than your church shoes. Ah, P1 is a kind of car. Uh, and he says, that's, that's better than your church shoes. All red lamb just to tease you, Lamborghini. None of these toys on lease, too. I own it, right? I, made, I own a Lamborghini. Made your whole year in a week. I'm really rich. Main B word out of your league, too. I've got really hot women. House so empty, I need a sensor piece. 20 racks, a table cut from ebony. Cut that ivory into skinny pieces, ivory being cocaine. Cut it into skinny pieces. Then she clean it with her face. Man, I love my babies. He's got a girl who's, who's doing drugs off of his table. And then he says, look what you've done. I'm a em- uh, mother effing star boy. Look what you've done. I'm mother effing star boy. So he feels good about the fact that he's a star. And as far as him taking the cross to destroy all his material possessions, the idea there is that this this flaming cross is not, you know, Jesus and worship of, of Christ that is allowing him to destroy his materialistic desires. It's precisely the opposite. It's an occult embrace of the image of the cross in order to 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 ironically destroy all the material possessions that he loves, but he's enjoying it. He's reveling in it. He's reveling in it. It's him leveling up and all of these songs are about him becoming more and more into the occult and less and less into the christian worldview that gets rid of materialism and fights materialism that at least is the is the convincing sort of analysis put forth by this fellow's vigilant citizen i think it's pretty it's pretty convincing from the videos and he sort of pieces it all together so when you're listening to these songs uh most people don't really listen to the lyrics but when you watch the videos there's a reason that these things are not particularly uplifting you're not watching it and going oh, okay, I feel more Christian now. I feel more religiously uplifted. I feel less materialistic. It's meant to revel in the, in the darkness of materialism uh, from an occult perspective. Um, because if you sell your soul to the Satan, then you get a pretty good, good deal is sort of the idea. Okay, tomorrow is, uh, tomorrow is another day, as Scarlett O'Hara is fond of saying. And we will bring you all of, the, all of the new information that is breaking about the cabinet. We'll bring you all the news on economics. We'll bring you, um, hopefully, there will be some more cabinet picks tomorrow because the one good thing so far that Trump has done is uh, a lot of his cabinet picks are quite good. So we'll talk some more about that tomorrow, and hopefully the left will continue to go nuts so we can mock their crazy columns. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 